Hello, and welcome to Soothing Pods Sleep Stories. My name is Arif, and tonight I will be your guide as we embark on a journey to the coasts of ancient Greece to explore the tale of Jason and the Argonauts on their nearly impossible quest to retrieve the Golden Fleece. We'll observe Jason's childhood in the serene Mount Pelion in northern Greece. Before we begin, however, let us take a moment to unwind and find comfort in the place that we are in here and now. Close your eyes and allow yourself to sink into the mattress beneath you. Here and now, there are no obligations. There is no to-do list. Here and now, you can simply be. By lying there, relaxing and listening to the sound of my voice, as we embark on this soothing, safe journey together, you are starting to rest. Feel the comfort of the plush bed and the pillow cradling your body, giving you a place of rest that you deserve. But for a moment, imagine that your bed is not in your room. Instead, your bed is in a forest somewhere. You can hear the sounds of the forest all around you. A soundscape that lulls you closer and closer towards sleep. There's the sound of the leaves rustling overhead, brushing against one another as the wind whistles through them, carrying their fresh, bright aroma on to distant horizons. There are ferns that your bed is nestled between, ferns that ebb and flow with those same gusts of wind, and part as forest animals scurry through them on this brilliantly warm, sunny day. And overhead, you can hear some of those forest animals. Birds seem to be composing a symphony all around you, singing their spring songs into the universe with no reservations and no hesitation. They are not singing for anyone but themselves filling the air with their joy, their life, their music. The happy chords of their melodies relax any tension and heaviness of the day that you've been carrying in your muscles. You feel lighter, as light as their song. And then, there's the way the forest around you feels. 
Your hand dangles safely off the edge of the bed, mingling with those bright and beautiful ferns that sway in the wind, kissing and tickling your skin as the breeze urges them toward you. The soft, fuzzy leaves feel like a gentle massage against the end of your fingers, moving in a slow rhythm as that wind winds its way through the forest. Overhead, the sun shines down on you, filtering through those tall, vibrant trees overhead and leaving a mosaic of natural light and shadow across your skin. Your eyes are shielded by a sturdy branch that keeps the sun out of your eyes, and yet you can still feel the kiss of the sun on your cheeks and face. The warmth of the sun reminds you of sunny childhood days spent wandering the woods and fields and meadows, causing a sense of peace and serenity to wash over you. It feels like home, bathing in the sun like this in your cozy bed, miles and miles away from the world. You feel the sun as it warms various parts of your body, wringing any tension out of them. It starts on your face, on your cheeks and neck and jaw. You feel the muscles of your face and your tongue relaxing. You feel your teeth unclench allowing your ears and jaw to let go of any harshness or pressure. You feel your shoulders fall away from your ears, giving your neck the room it needs for a comfortable night's sleep. Then you feel the sun warm your chest, you feel your heartbeat slow to a natural, easy pace. You feel your lungs expand as you breathe a little deeper, as that cool, fresh forest air fills and nourishes your body. The sun warms your arms and your legs. Your hands unclench and your legs sink deeper and deeper into the mattress, being cradled and comforted more and more, until finally your whole body feels as though it is being embraced by your bed and cared for by the nature that is all around you. Now that we have taken the time to relax and find comfort in the place that we are in, 
here and now. Let us begin our story. Ison didn't have much in the world. Once, he had been free to roam the beautiful landscape of Thessaly. He could meander through the meadows as the flower-tinged breeze washed over him, revitalizing him and reminding him of the beauty that could be found in nature. He could look up at the towering cliffs and rock faces, marveling at their height and grandeur. When he was younger, the world was full of potential for him, and his future was bright. But the lure of power and the quest for it was constantly on the minds of the people of ancient Greece at the time. And Ison's half-brother, Peleus, certainly had it on his mind quite a lot. Desperate for the throne, desperate to be the king of Eoclus, Peleus did all that he could to assure no one stood in his way. Peleus banished his other brother and half-brother, sending them to faraway territories where they would be unable to interfere with Peleus's quest for power. But Peleus didn't trust that if he banished Ison, he would stay away. So, instead, he decided to keep Ison close by and keep an eye on him. One day, Ison awakened to moonlight streaming across his bed. Guards entered along with his brother, who looked down at him with a tense, serious expression. He told his brother that only one of them could rule, and it was going to be him. Ison knew that such a thing was on the horizon, but he didn't think that Peleus would do it so soon. Within minutes, the guards had Ison by the arms and were dragging him down into the caves beneath the city, where he would be imprisoned for the rest of his life. Ison spent years in prison, and though it was, indeed, a prison, he was not alone. The caves had become a sort of city, a sort of refuge for those who were unlucky enough to have met the wrath of Peleus. They were a fairly bleak place, and yet, even within them, light could be found. The granite walls were often blanketed in a thick carpet of evergreen moss that glistened in what little sunlight made its way through the stone corridors. The caves smelled brilliantly of soil, loam, 
and the salty sea, whose invigorating aroma was swept in through caves that peppered the seaside cliffs of Eoclus. And Ison made a life for himself there. They were imprisoned, but he was not one to go silently into the night. And within that system of caves that had slowly become his home, he met someone who truly was the light he had been searching for. Her name was Alcimidi, and she was a beacon of hope in the darkness of the cave. The first time Ison talked to her, the words flowed out of his mouth, surprising himself. He felt utterly connected to her in a way that he had never thought possible. It was as if their souls had been searching for each other for quite some time. And when they met, all felt right in the world, in spite of where they were within it. It didn't take long for the two to become husband and wife. They held a little ceremony in the caves, believing in their hearts that the gods and goddesses of Greece were looking upon them with kindness. Their happiness and joy became even greater when Alcimede fell pregnant with a child. She welcomed her baby boy into the world with a vibrant smile on her face and a heart that was swelling with love. She named the son Jason, and from the moment his parents laid eyes on him, they loved him and cherished him like the little miracle that he was. But there was a problem that weighed heavily on their minds. If Peleus knew that Ison had had a child, he would do all that he could to stop the child from surviving into adulthood. Jason was a threat to Peleus, a potential heir to the throne that he had worked so hard to secure for himself. And so, when he heard that Ison's son had been delivered, Peleus raced down into the caves to see for himself. But what he saw when he arrived were several women surrounding Alcimede and Jason, sobbing loudly about the child who hadn't survived birth. Peleus felt at ease, believing that there was no threat to his throne. But, indeed, there was. Sensing the danger that Jason was in, Alcimede had called for the other women trapped within the caves to come to her side and pretend 
that the child had been lost in order to protect him. And the protection didn't stop there. That night, Ison and Alcimide cuddled their son in the moonlight. They looked at his perfect nose, at all his picture-perfect fingers and toes, and they felt a kind of bliss they had never experienced. But deep within their hearts, they knew this bliss would be short-lived. They could not keep Jason with them. They could not raise their darling son in this cave prison. And they could not let Peleus know that he was alive at all. And so, they did what they knew they had to do. The very next morning, as the sun began to rise over the beautiful coastal city, Alcimide took her son to one of the exits of the cave that overlooked the ocean. The sun splashed across the waves, illuminating them in a pink and gold glow that made Alcimide feel hopeful in spite of what she and Ison had come there to do. At the edge of the water there on that bright new day, Chiron, a centaur, awaited her. He was known by people across Greece for being the wisest and most just centaur to have ever lived. If Alcimide was going to give up her darling boy, she wanted him to be with someone that would raise him well, someone who could pass down good lessons to him and fill his head with kindness and knowledge. And Chiron was the perfect fit. He was known by people to be a good mentor to the youths, a father figure to several of them throughout history. Chiron took the young child in his arms and gave Alcimide and Ison an encouraging smile. He promised to keep their son safe and to ensure that when the time was right, he was ready to come back and be with his family. With that, Chiron set off to his home with young Jason on his back. To Chiron's surprise, Jason did not cry. He did not make a sound. He stared at the clouds and the trees as they whipped on by in a soothing flurry of color and texture. It was as if the baby knew that this was what was right for him, that this would allow his future to unfold as it was destined to. And so, 
Jason spent his childhood with Chiron, high atop a mountain. It was a beautiful and happy home, the kind of home that many people dream about. In the mornings, Jason would awaken to the sounds of the mountain birds singing their soothing song to the universe. He would make his way to the river and wash up, allowing that brisk water to course down over his well-rested body, infusing him with a newfound energy and the promise of the day. Then, he would spend the morning wandering the fields. Often, he would bring a loaf of bread and a few slices of cheese with him. He would meander through the meadows full of flowers, gazing around in awe at the beautiful world around him. He had always felt connected to nature, had always felt in touch with it. So being raised out in the wilderness like this, far away from any cities or any corrupt leaders vying for a throne, just felt right. By midday, Jason would sit down with Chiron and any other students that were cycling through under Chiron's mentorship. Chiron taught him everything he needed to know about the world. He taught him about survival, about cooking, about art, about music, about combat about politics and philosophy. By the end of every lesson, Jason would practically have stars in his eyes. Chiron was a being who truly understood the world, for both its beauty, its sorrows, and its potential. Learning from him was like learning from an all-knowing God. Jason spent all of his childhood learning from Chiron, and he never tired of hearing him speak. His childhood was the best anyone could ask for, a childhood full of knowledge, exploration, acceptance, and understanding. When Jason finally entered adulthood, he couldn't have been more prepared for what lay ahead. He had known from a young age that he was the son of Ison, that he could one day claim the throne of Eoclus for himself and redeem his father. And soon, he was ready to take that journey. He was strong enough, wise enough. He had proven himself in several battles, tasks, and trials, and Chiron knew that he could no longer keep him 
in the mountain refuge. Jason was an adult. Jason was ready to become the king of Ioclus. But back in Ioclus, Peleus had been concerned for quite some time. Even though he believed that Ison and Alcimides' child had died, there were still some worries dancing around in the back of his head. He was no longer a fighter. He could not battle for his throne, nor did he want to. To soothe his fears, he called upon an oracle to tell him the truth, to tell him if his concerns were at all warranted. The oracle sat before him, cloaked in a long, purple robe with a serious look in her eyes. She carried a mystical energy about her. She closed her eyes as the messages about the future and the past washed over her in a powerful wave. And then she told Peleus what he needed to hear. It wasn't exactly what he wanted to hear, but it was something that could guide him. She warned Peleus that he needed to beware of a man wearing one sandal. Peleus informed all of his guards and confidants about this, ensuring that he would be alerted if such a man was to arrive. And, on his long quest back to his homeland, back to Eoclus, Jason did, indeed, lose a sandal. He was on a mission to return to Eoclus as quickly as possible, but the terrain was challenging. Just as he was approaching the city, as he could see it glistening in the far distance. Jason found himself standing before a river. The water churned over the rocks at frightening speed, kicking up a dewy gossamer that soaked his cloak and his hair. Jason could charge across the river and be in Ioclus easily. But there was something that stopped him, standing on the edge of the river, looking across with a forlorn expression, was an old woman. She hunched over a walking stick as she wobbled toward the water. Jason knew there was no way this woman could cross a river of this magnitude, certainly not at her age. Though he wanted to continue on to Ioclus, his conscience wouldn't allow him to without offering his help to this old woman. He approached her and offered his help, which she gratefully accepted. He scooped 
the woman up in his arms and carried her across the river, feeling the icy chill of the water splashing against his legs. Finally, they reached the other side, only for Jason to realize he had lost one sandal along the way. The woman thanked Jason, who assured her it was no problem. But there was something unusual about this old woman. She wasn't an old woman at all. A shimmer surrounded her, causing Jason to shield his eyes from the incredible golden glow. When he was finally able to blink away the blurriness in his vision, he realized who was standing before him. The old woman was actually the goddess Hera in disguise. She revealed herself to Jason, thanking him for his kindness and patience. A surge of warmth washed over Jason when Hera raised her hands. She told the young man that he had been blessed for his kindness and that he would certainly need that blessing moving forward. Jason continued on the road to Ioclus, feeling empowered by his encounter with Hera. And though he was missing a sandal, he did not care. He entered the city where he had been born, the city that should have been under his father's rule, the city that should be under his rule now. Immediately upon entering the city, Peleus's guards spotted Jason, the man with one sandal. They knew as soon as their eyes laid on him that Jason was different. He was the one that the oracle had warned Peleus about. The guards flocked to Peleus's side to tell him what they had seen. Peleus had known this was coming for quite some time and he had come up with a rather interesting solution to his problem. Jason went straight to Peleus' throne room. He was not there to surprise Peleus or try to wrestle his throne from him by any nefarious means. Instead, he simply told Peleus why he had come. As the son of Ison, Jason was the rightful heir to the throne, and now Jason was here to claim it. Peleus listened to Jason's words, fiddling with his fingers against the arm of his throne. He was not going to argue with Jason, nor was he going to deny him the throne. Instead, he told Jason something rather surprising. He told him that the throne was all Jason's, 
as long as Jason could retrieve the Golden Fleece. The Golden Fleece was a much sought-after item in ancient Greece. The beautiful fleece was that of a golden-wooled, winged ram named Chrysomelis, whose fleece was glowing with matted skeins of gold. The fleece represented power, royalty, and fame in ancient Greece. It was something that only a true king would possess. And if Jason was to be a true king, he would have to claim it for himself. The problem was, the Golden Fleece was far, far away from Eoclus, across a treacherous sea in Colchis, with dozens of obstacles in the way. And once Jason would arrive at Colchis, where the Fleece could be found, it wouldn't be the end of his journey. The Fleece belonged to the kind of Colchis, a man who would surely not let it go without a fight. But Jason wanted to take the throne more than anything, not just for himself, but for his father, to right the wrong that had been inflicted on his family all those years ago. So, he did all that he could to ensure he would make the journey and retrieve the fleece. He assembled a team of powerful heroes, heroes who were well known across Greece for their strength, their noble deeds, and their power. Heroes like Heracles, Orpheus, and Acastus. The crew all sailed aboard the Argo, one of the finest ships ever made. They dubbed themselves the Argonauts, taking the name from the ship itself. When the day came for them all to set sail, they waved goodbye to the people waiting on the shore and set off across the sea. The sea full of magic, mystery, and struggles. But Jason was not afraid. He knew that Chiron had raised him well, and he knew how badly he wanted to uphold the task that had been given to him when he was a newborn. He was going to reclaim the throne. The journey to find Colchis was a long one, and there were several stops along the way for the heroes. They settled on the island of Lemnos for quite some time, an island full of women who had been abandoned by their husbands. The women swarmed the Argonauts, and for several months, the men enjoyed the women's company, fathering children with them and keeping them company day in and day out as the sun rose and set on the island. Heracles, however, 
did not partake in this behavior and urged the heroes to continue onward toward the horizon to find Colchis no matter what it took. One day, the heroes found themselves in the court of Phineas of Salmodeshus. The poor man had been cursed by Zeus to have harpies, which were half human and half bird, steal any food that was put out for Phineas, and as a result, Phineas was starving. Feeling pity for the poor man, Jason slayed the harpies that were stealing his food, allowing him to eat and be well again. Grateful for Jason's help, Phineas revealed a secret to him. There was a single passage to the Black Sea coast where Colchis was located and it was fraught with trouble. The clashing rocks were a pair of rocks at the Bosporus that formed a narrow, natural strait leading to the Black Sea. These two massive rocks would collide against one another any time that a ship passed between them. Jason and the Argonauts knew that passing between the clashing rocks would mean trouble, but they didn't realize how easy it would be to make it through with one simple trick. Phineas told them that when approaching the clashing rocks, all they had to do was release a single dove. If the dove made it through the rocks, then they were to hurry and also pass through. But if the dove did not make it, their passage through the rocks would be ill-fated as well. The Argonauts reached the clashing rocks aboard the Argo and released a stunning white dove. They held their breath as the dove flew through the rocks and emerged on the other side unharmed. They rode with all their might, making it through the rocks themselves. Soon after, they finally reached Colchis. The city along the water was stunning, bathed in the glow of sunlight radiating off calm sea waves. However, the king within the city was far from calm. When Jason demanded the golden fleece from him, the king told him he would have to complete three tasks to earn the golden fleece. First, Jason had to plow a field with fire-breathing oxen that would surely burn him to a crisp. Then, he had to sow dragon teeth into the soil. Then, he had to overcome a sleepless dragon to retrieve the golden fleece. Jason was uncharacteristically defeated by these tasks. He had come all this way, and still, he felt 
that the fleece was further away than ever. However, still remembering his heroic act of helping her cross the river, Hera smiled down on Jason. She worked with Aphrodite to make Medea, the daughter of the king of Colchis, fall in love with Jason. Medea was instantly enamored with Jason and worked with him to ensure that he could overcome the tasks her father had set for him. First, she created a balm for Jason that protected him from the flames of the fire-breathing oxen. As he walked along, plowing the field, not a single flame brushed his skin or burnt him. Then, she warned him of what the dragon teeth would become. As soon as Jason planted them, they would sprout into spartoi, meaning sown men, skeleton-like army of warriors, fierce in battle. But Jason was prepared, for Medea had warned him of Spartoi's existence and of how to defeat them. He simply threw a rock at the horde of Spartoi. Unable to find where the blow came from, the warriors attacked one another. Jason didn't have to land a single hit. Finally, it came time to get the golden fleece from the sleepless dragon. Perhaps the most challenging task of all. But Jason was well prepared. Medea gave him a herb potion that would cause the dragon to sleep. With one simple spray, the dragon fell into a powerful slumber. Jason grabbed the brilliant golden fleece from him. The weight and beauty of the fleece in his hands was nearly enough to bring him to tears. He and Medea set sail for Eoclus, where Jason would finally be the king. They threw a festive celebration for Jason's return and to celebrate his accomplishment. By that time, Jason's father was frail and old, wanting to celebrate with him, wanting to see that all those years were worth it. Jason begged Medea to take some years of his own life and give them to his father. With powerful magic she possessed, Medea did just that, revitalizing Ison and allowing him to reunite wholly and fully with his son. The two looked over the city with Medea by their side, knowing that all the hope they had held, the promise of a bright future, it was all for a good reason. I hope you have enjoyed this sleep story and it has brought you a night of peaceful, 
relaxing sleep. Please join me again tomorrow for another sleep story. Until then, sweet dreams. <laughs>